This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation. The land on which I am lucky enough to raise my son always was and always will be Aboriginal land. This episode is sponsored by Our Pilates, an online platform with over 150 physio-led Pilates classes. Keep listening to learn how you can receive a free month of access to Our Pilates. I still remember seeing Samantha Harris on the front of Vogue magazine and going, oh, there we are. I was like, I'm going to lose my spot on the team. I'm like, girl, you are making eyeballs. There's always going to be a sacrifice somewhere. I can't have everything, unfortunately. I can't take off my Aboriginality or my South Sea Islander heritage. It's, it is me and I am it. People were telling me how successful I was and I just felt like I was failing as a parent. I'd love to take away this deep belief that we need to do things on our own. Jemison Power is an Aboriginal and South Sea Islander mother who lives in Mianjin, Brisbane, with her husband and her son. She works full-time as a consultant and facilitator in Indigenous cultural responsiveness. She was a lead actor in Stan's recent original series, Black Snow. She's a model, and in a former life, she was also a professional netball player. She was born into a Pentecostal church She played elite netball until she was 18 weeks pregnant while hiding her bump under baggy jumpers. And if you haven't picked it up by now, she's led a busy and colourful life. Here, we talk about landing a lead role in Stan's Black Snow and the whirlwind that was balancing filming with motherhood and returning to her regular nine-to-five job after this otherworldly experience. Gemma also reflects on how she got into modelling the pressures that come with the cultural load of parenting an Indigenous child, why we always feel like we owe someone that offers us help, especially as parents, and how looking back, she was always trying to fit herself into a palatable version of an Indigenous girl. I'm Lucinda, this is Ready or Not, and here is the wise and warm Jemison Power. The modelling kind of got birthed out of a culmination of me unpacking things, the the conversations that were starting to happen from those George Floyd conversations as well in just the different industries that I'd never explored because I never thought that that was something that was an option for me. And so when I had Ty, I had this beautiful, perfect human being. He was like, he is perfect. Yes, I'm biased, but he really was like, he had like this full, thick, jet black head of hair, thick curls, and um, just these beautiful features that I was just like, oh, everyone would die to have these features. And then when people would ask where he got them from, it was like, he got them from me. Like, I gave that to him. But because I'd worked so hard to kind of take that out of my own, I guess, um, identity or... yeah I, appearance and identity it really made me stop and go hold on a second like I can't tell my son that he is beautifully and wonderfully made if I don't even believe that and why don't I believe that oh it's because I've never seen or it it just wasn't an often occurrence for me to look at people on billboards and posters and advertisements that look like me and so there was this whole thing of like oh my gosh I have to do some I have to do some work 15-year-old Gemma, mm. how, how was her confidence? Did she just wish that she was this Caucasian girl like the person next to her or were you? did you have quite a good self-confidence? Think, Where were you at? I, I did have, I had self-confidence I think from growing up in a church so we were always put on a stage and like we always, you know, sang and public speaking was normal um, in, you know, some sort of aspect. Um so I had that confidence, but it was always kind of like I had to be this, like I had to be the good version. Like I had mm. to, I didn't realise until later on that I was fitting myself into this, and what you'd call palatable Indigenous girl or Indigenous woman to be in these spaces. And yeah. as much as netball gave me so much joy and I had so much confidence and I learned so many things about time management and commitment and hard work and endurance and all of these beautiful things, 
I had to sit with the fact that there was some harm that was experienced as well. And whether that harm be done, like whether I'd done the harm to myself um, or I'd accepted harm because I thought that that was just what was okay and that's what needed to happen in order for me to progress and to be part of these teams. Uh, I was definitely, and I've had conversations with other Indigenous players that I played with through the years and those players who had really rough relationships with teams and, and coaching staff and support staff because they were so unapologetic in in their blackness and they were you know so unapologetic in certain areas of their life, whether it be their community commitments or their family commitments or just how they moved, how their body moved mm. or how their body was. Um, and the As opposed to sort of retrofitting themselves into the white version of Australia like you yeah. perhaps were doing. Yes. Oh, I was 100%, 100%. And it still gives me kind of goosebumps now to like accept that and say it, but that's part of my story as well. And so to be able to have these conversations with, you know, my sisters who did have such a rough time and kind of reconcile that with one another, um, we've all since left netball um, because of the different conversations that have happened and because we love our teammates and all of their trajectories that they're on now and it's just like we love them it's just not for me and and that's okay some people choose to stay in that space and fight from within and and be the movers and shakers in that area I just realized you know I don't have the energy for it because I want to do other stuff and I've got a son that I want to put my energy into and and to nourish and nurture and netball just in general as elite netballers 90% of your time is training and being the best you can on court and you're getting paid about 10% of what you should as well for that 90% yeah. effort like for all the great stuff that I did never I never got to that level where I got paid it was wow. like what a cool bag and some socks and some towels and <laughs> I've got so many water bottles that are coming out of my ears. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Um, and I have some beautiful like memories with them. I still I've still kept all of my my lacquer and netball dresses, which is hilarious. I still feel like I'll be able to fit them because of the stretch that they have in them. So I'd love to, you know, one day I'll get to it and frame a few of them up because they they were, they were very, you know, I I worked hard to wear those dresses and I really you know, I value that time that I had in that life. The funny thing is I decided to retire from netball and then I had all this free time and I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I'm just not that person who can just have free time. Mind you, I had a kid, so that's just crazy that <laughs> free I time. had free time. <laughs> anyway, so I, I decided, you know, I don't want to work on my own self-confidence in the right way um, and I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to be a model. I remember when I was 15, I went to a modeling agency. I think I was 16 when I, I went to a modeling agency, sat in the modeling agency, looked around and went, this ain't for me. This ain't for me. I'm actually going to leave. I'm, I'm going to go now. And my mum was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yep. Because like, I didn't see anyone. And, you know, I still remember seeing Samantha Harris on the front of, you know, Vogue magazine and going, ah, oh, oh my gosh. Oh, there we are. Like it was just this whole mind blown experience. And yeah. so I was like, I was very, I was very conscious of putting myself out there um, to not only build my own confidence, but just be visible, just be, just take up some kind of space. Did you feel almost a little bit of responsibility to be the person that did that? Like if that was entering your mind of maybe I should model and maybe I'm not seeing many versions of me out there. Do you feel a level of responsibility to then do it? Oh yeah, hundred percent. Oh, I had like conniptions and was losing sleep. And you're a mum now, so you're trying yeah. to role model all the self worth that you want your son to feel in himself as a Aboriginal and South Sea Islander. Yeah, yeah, it was a lot. Um, and I I had to be very intentional with how I took up space. Um, because I was identifying openly as an Indigenous model, I had people around me that I would ask questions on how to move in the social especially the social media space because that sucker can be ruthless oh, yeah. <laughs> um whichever way you go you know whatever door you go into it can be ruthless and so I wanted to yeah I wanted to enter that space very mindfully 
And so I actually sat down and wrote uh, a mission statement and a vision statement for what I wanted, how I wanted to work in that space. Um, because I knew that putting myself up as this, like, I'm so proud and I know all these things. I don't, that's a complete lie. I'm on my journey and yes, I'm in this space, I'm visible. Um, so I'm just going to act as a signpost, you know, for anyone who's, who sees me and goes, oh, you're Indigenous. It's like, yeah, cool. Yep, I am. Um, I'm still on my journey. I don't know the things, but you know who does know more than me? These people. And so that's what I used my space for a lot in, in the early days. And I still do now. I still send people like links and, and resources and whatnot, because I just, I don't know all the answers. I'm, I'm a baby in that space, but I think doing the work takes away the eggshells and being honest and transparent with that work is so important because we're all, you know, a lot of us are very, I shouldn't say we're all, a lot of us or myself, I'm very aware that I am not the knowledge holder of my culture, Mm -hmm. but I'm also know that I'm not the only one who feels this way. And so to you know, that taking that step of courage and going, hey, yeah, like I'm I'm so proud of my ancestors and, and the work that they've done and the spaces that they took up. I'm so proud of that and I'm learning it and I'm not going to get everything right. I'm not going to pronounce names right. That's actually really interesting. It's like I'm representing all of us, but I'm also not. I mean, that's very simple the way I put it, but that's really interesting. If you're putting yourself out there and you're getting modelling gigs and you're identifying as an Indigenous person, to then trip yourself up would feel quite fraught with risk and danger. Yes, definitely. And, you know, early on in the piece, uh, you know, I had a few people just kind of question and I had to kind of navigate that space of being honest and and being okay with being pulled up. You know, a lot of Mm. us... It's a very humbling experience, you know, when you walk into this space and you're kind of like, I'm learning. And then you get told, yeah, you are. You might need to sit down for a second, Bob. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> great. You know, it, it definitely, it's such a humbling experience. It's beautiful and it's challenging and it helps me do better in that space as a mom as well and as a friend and as a colleague too. So yeah, the modeling space was amazing. It built my confidence up. So when the open casting call came for, black snow I was kind of already in this headspace of like you know what yeah yeah sure why not I I can you know I'll give this a shot why not and at that time I just recently cut my hair and it's slowly growing back now I've got it tied back because it's at this really awkward stage I just cut my hair because I'd gone through this internal processing and just understanding why I'd straightened and straightened my hair for so long and bleached it and just damaged the crap out of my poor hair and I went oh you know what I think I have to cut it off I think I'm gonna have to do this just start again start again um and I just did that so my hair was this beautiful like short cropped hair so when it came time to putting in my headshot it was this short cropped hair and funnily enough my character Hazel that I didn't know I was going for by the way (laughs) she needed short cropped hair um it was written into the script that way and um, so that was really, that was just a nice little nudge of like, yeah, you, you kind of, for me, it was like, oh, I am, I'm on the right track. You know, I, there's a timing for everything. And it was just crazy that that happened because that's all they could go off first was headshots. And that's what landed me. The, the next part of the audition was, okay, we like, you know, unfortunately that's what it is in the film industry. If they like what they see, then, you, you know, and it fits the character. And so, um. Yeah, I did a whole bunch of auditions on Zoom and I got flown to Sydney to do a face-to-face audition with, I think, Sean Davies. She's the, she's the director for the first um, block. So the first three episodes, Sean directed that. And um, I worked with them on that. And then a few months later, our family got COVID, so I couldn't actually go to the final workshop. And I was like, well, there goes my shot. But they came back and I was like, no, we really want you to be a part of this final workshop it's going to be here in another couple of weeks or whatever and so I went to that and it was incredible it's where I met uh, a lady by the name of Nadia Townsend who's the dramaturg she's she's amazing and I just really loved it I'd never done any of it before I did drama as a elective in uni and also as an elective in high school but that was literally it Mm. I was kind of just trying to 
glean all those seconds of information that I'd kept from all those years. And but essentially, it was just a really enjoyable experience, and I found it quite healing as well because the characters were saucy, and so I got to tap into a lot of the energy and the emotions that were already there. So, mm. did you learn um, a bit about your culture along the way too? Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. It was yeah. That was one of the best mm. parts about being a part of Black Snow was being in spaces and meeting people that could share story and share history and knowledge. And yeah, it was just a really, really beautiful, immersive experience. What yeah. an interesting time. And so you also work in leadership management, I believe. Can you tell us about that part of your career? Since I left high school uh, or since I graduated, I've always worked. And um, a lot of those jobs were in uh, community organisations um, and community health organisations. So a lot of them came from like human services project officer. And um, I landed a, a job as a accreditation support officer, which I had no idea about, but I learned it. <laughs> you, know, you just go, sure, I can do that. Um <laughs> And ended up loving that. And then uh, Dwayne Vickery is the he's the managing director of ETMP, which is Education Training Management Perspectives. And it's a it's a black owned business that's based all around Australia. So we all work remotely. But he he kind of we met from one of the sessions that he was facilitating, and I was just in the session and was doing my group work, and they really were impressed with how I kind of worked that space and interacted and they were very just curious on what I wanted to do and I loved how they worked in facilitation space um, and just with people and they were so incredible at telling story and leaning in and inviting voice and it was just like this is just great just and not even for a job I was like I just want to hang out with you guys all the time I'll do it for free I'm, I'll I've been, I'm a I'll do it for free I'm used to it I've done a lot of things for free <laughs> <laughs> so yeah like um long story short I ended up jumping on board with them in 2021 and honestly it's just been the best experience ever and so when Black Snow came about Sorry, I'll go back. Because the reason why it's been a, such a good experience is ETMP is a value-based value organisation or business. So uh, everything that we teach, we live. Everything that we um, do in our training sessions, whether they be cultural safety training sessions, cultural responsiveness, team building, um, mentoring, any of that, we have done the work in our own personal lives first. And so it just brings this whole nother layer to our professional lives because it's been done in the background. Um, and it's an active thing that we're constantly chipping away at and working on and sharpening each other. And, you know, I'm like, I literally get the best of both worlds. Like I, I get this personal development <laughs> and I get paid as well. And I get to meet new people and and just yeah share space which is something that I've just I've always loved and enjoyed and so to be able to find that in a professional space is just honestly um I cannot complain at all yeah they're they're an incredible group of people um I always plug them like on my little socials because I'm like they're just like my second family my husband's like oh my gosh you really love these guys I'm like yeah I really do <laughs> like my uncles and my brothers and sisters and yeah um it's a it's a it's a beautiful space to be in and more so when this acting came up because it was such a random random thing to be called upon and I didn't actually tell anyone that I went for it because I was kind of like eh I, I thought it was a I thought it was for extras because that's usually what those casting calls are for it's just extras like we just need to, people to fill yeah, in like they found their core people and now they're looking for the others yeah, yeah, and because obviously I had I didn't know the story yet and the background and Lucas, his writing, I, I didn't know any of it, so none of it made any sense to me. I was just like, oh, okay. And so when my husband was like, what What does this actually mean? So I'd kind of progressed a bit more and I'd realised, oh, I'm one of the main characters and it's going to actually take a little bit of time out of my schedule. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so I had to get over that hurdle first to kind of 
suss out, a, you know, the temperature check on my husband because, mm. you know, it would mean going from dropping off our son, picking up our son, doing the night routine, just all that normal stuff that I loved and enjoyed would stop essentially mm. and it would have to transfer over to my husband. And, um, yeah. <laughs> But then I got to my work and I was like, oh, my gosh, that means I'm going to. I have to ask you guys too. Ask them. Oh, my gosh. Oh, Lucinda. The stress and the sweat that was experienced in probably that 12 hours of realising I had to ask, you know, mm. tell my boss. And then I, it, it, all of those worries just kind of faded as soon as I got on the call with my boss and told him, like, hey, I've kind of done this. Mm. And I'm kind of progressing and just before I progress any further I just want to just see what that might look like <laughs> and he could tell I was absolutely stressed and he just asked me this one question and he said is it something that you want to pursue and I went yes just waiting for that pin to drop for him to say well you got to have one or the other you can't have both I was just I was waiting for it because I'd been told that so many times in my life for different things that I'd never ever been this honest with with an employer and so when he said that I was just taken aback and I went yeah I do actually I really do want to pursue this and he said well Jemison we value you you know oh, how powerful <laughs> is that and I went, well I value you too <laughs> 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 and long story short he let me just go on you know I got to take obviously unpaid leave so I went on unpaid mm. leave obviously because I was getting paid acting and I had a job to come back to and that's why <laughs> everyone asks what are you doing after this and I'm going back to work <laughs> I love that and we're going to get to that that change of like acting yeah. and then just going back to your day job but before we do you fall pregnant and then you play elite netball up until your 18 weeks can you tell us about how that pregnancy went for you oh my goodness oh my goodness me I actually just finished listening to uh, the previous episode around, um, you know, it wasn't really planned. Like we didn't really have a plan. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, cool. We literally just woke up one day and said, I, I really, yeah, I really want a kid. Mind you, I was 23 mm. at the time. And um, we could go into the the, the details of, as to why that was probably problematic too. <laughs> Going, girl, you really haven't lived. Like I didn't, I hadn't traveled overseas or anything like that. <laughs> really yeah, wow, lived much of a life. Um, but to go, no, no, I've, I've got this longing. I really want to have a son, and I do a test my fertility to <laughs> my age and and the likes. And so when we made that decision, it really did have a quick turnaround. And um, I just had to figure out how I was going to work and you know I was still working full-time but yes I was playing elite netball at the same time as well and I again I was nervous of telling my coach because I was like oh my gosh again priorities I was like I'm gonna lose my spot on the team I'm like girl you are making eyeballs like calm calm down take a breath and and yet yeah I, I felt really nervous to tell my coach told my coach they were amazing and I said look I just I would love to just still come to training and and go as far as I can I got I got clearance from my doctors as well uh because I told them look I can't just stay still because that I'm gonna be running anyway so just let me play like can you just let me play and they're like okay and they asked me like what position and I'm like I'm a holding shooter I don't even know that much just a little bit just a bit of a sidestep yeah just a little bit of (laughs) I wasn't really downplaying it so much so naughty (laughs) Um, so they let me play, they let me train and I didn't tell any of my teammates because we were in the running, we were very, very successful, um, in our competition and, uh, we, we were champions. We, we won the premiership for many years in a row. And I was like, it would be really cool if I could make it to the grand final with my team. And so I did, it was winter. It's hilarious. So I'm rocking up to these training sessions, trying to hide this belly for the last few training sessions, I was wearing like just these really big baggy jumpers and going, I'm just super freezing. Meanwhile, I'm like sweat. I'm like, sorry, bub, like making sure that I'm overheating this child. And um, that's how I covered it from them. And then we got to grand final day or grand final night. 
And I was like, cool, I'm going to be able to just give this to him. Because I, I got to a point where I'm like, I'm not going to play grand final. That's We call it non-contact and we all know, very rough. And just it's a different level when you get to those grand final nights. So I was like, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to chill on the bench. And so I rock up and take my jumper off and got into the huddle and it was like, you'll have like an extra player on the bench. And that's how they found out. And they all went, we knew it. We knew it. Like we knew you weren't cold because those training sessions were hectic ass. Because <laughs> you're sweating bullets. Yeah. <laughs> So um, it was really, it was amazing, but it kept me, it kept me fit and healthy for, for, you know, my pregnancy and my son was very active and has continued that energy for now. <laughs> if like me, you're looking for safe, intelligent workouts that you can practice from home during naps and between meetings, our Pilates is offering all Ready or Not listeners a free month of access for their entire online Pilates platform, including their new pre- and postnatal Pilates programs. I am loving their prenatal program, which was created by mothers Brooke and Han. Not only will you have access to their full library, you'll also be able to watch educational videos from a range of health professionals, including a dietitian women's health physio, naturopath, lactation consultant, hypnobirthing consultant and sexologist. To redeem your complimentary month of our Pilates, simply head to their website and enter the code READYORNOT when you create an account and select their monthly membership option. And so how did new motherhood go for you? You've just given birth to your baby. Did you take much time off? Where were you at then? Yeah, I, I took the normal amount of maternity leave um, because at that point I wasn't working with ETMP. I was still with my, my normal full-time job. And so I took the normal amount. That was great. And because I had him in February, I got to enjoy like the Christmas break and I basically lived at the lagoon here in Brisbane. You know, my family friends would come and pick me up because I'm like, I am, I just need a body of water, fam. Like just put me in a body of water let me just survive this last little bit and um Brisbane humidity too oh my goodness yes it was not fun but I had a really really good pregnancy like everything went smoothly he my son was measuring well and was happy and healthy and um the support that I had from those uh, community health organizations because as an indigenous mom to be I got access to you know the maternity services and um, all the different checkups and so that was really lovely we actually had a, a Maori midwife who was supporting us all the way through and that just made it so much better um, my husband's actually Maori as well and so it's just this beautiful little extra bonus for us to have have a cultural midwife support us both uh, before birth and after birth before during and after and it was really beautiful and I think one of the best take-homes from my birthing experience because I had a beautiful birthing experience too uh, it was in hospital um, I would have loved to have been in water but um, the Logan hospital didn't have have the facilities and I was like, dang it just shove me in the shower like I'll just be chilling in the shower for hours on end I did that for a little bit, um, but we got to a point where a few, like a fair few hours in, and they found that um, I had this like fluid, this balloon, like this, just my son was just resting on this balloon of fluid, and um, it was really just, it's kind of just slowing. It wasn't slowing things down, but it just meant things were going a bit slower. And the doctors came in and said, "Look, we can just, we can just." you know, break your waters and bubble come and if you're just getting tired. And something in me was like, yeah, but like I can, I'm tired, but I'm okay. Like does this affect my son's health at all or how's his heart rate and things? And they're like, oh, yeah. And the thing with that was they would give me kind of really general answers of like, mm. like yeah, it'll just, it'll just speed it along. So you'll just go into labour okay I'm like but I'm all right I'm in pain but uh I'll just see and so I held on to that for a little bit and my our midwife came in and I asked her I'm like what do you think and she said look Bob's heart rate's fine you're fine 
if you speed this along and you like and you break your waters it will speed everything up but it'll also make both your heart rates go up mm. your body and at the thing this is where it was like a no-brainer for me your body won't bodies won't have time to adjust and so it was like you go <laughs> I remember going that's where the tears start to happen because you haven't adjusted like you want to get it over and done with and your body's like calm down (laughs) and so I went okay well if I'm all right and Bub's all right let's just let's just work this through and so like 18 hours later he was still chilling um but it was it was progressing just Mm. longer just long longer and uh but I'm so glad I did that because both of us just were able to ease into it he came out and they said to me, look, you're great. Like, you're, you're, you're doing good. Bub's doing good. How do you feel? Do you want to stay in? And they gave me the option to stay in. I went, oh. I looked down at my son and he was super content and he was feeding and latching fine. And I went, okay, well, if I did stay the night, where would I go? They're like, oh, you'd just be sharing a, a ward with all the other mums. And I acutely heard all the other babies crying. Mm, that, <laughs> now let's go home. I literally, I hightailed it, I think, 4 o'clock that afternoon. I had tired like 10 o'clock in the morning. By 4 o'clock yeah. that afternoon, I was at home in our own bed, chilling out. And, uh, yeah, so my, I, I love my birth story. And so when people ask me, I'm like, ah, I'm just going to give you, like, my really, really great experience, and that's not mm. it for everyone. So, yeah, I'm super mindful of that. And what did return to work look like for you at that phase of your life? Um, very quick. It was a quick turnaround. I don't know if you've picked up by by now, but a lot of things in my life have quick turnarounds. It does seem to uh, be a theme so far. Yeah, it's definitely a recurring theme. Um, yeah, it was quick, and I think that was it was just a financial choice, really, for us. Like we we had to, I had to get back into workforce, so I you know, was able to have the means to get the food and things for my son so that was a big reason why I had to go back to work super quick and how did you feel about that emotionally were you okay with it were you just like this is the reality of it or did you want to be at home with your babe oh I felt guilty as all hang I felt so guilty was trying to tell myself that I had to do this and that that's that was the reality but guilty nonetheless and it also meant at 12 weeks we had to find a daycare for him but he adjusted so well and um he was incredible. Mind you, we had that normal, like the first 12 months of any type of care. You are going to be visiting that hospital so much just from all the things that come with that. And um, But we had really good health care and great access to hospitals. And the children's hospital here in Brisbane is amazing. They never turned you like they never turned us away. Nothing was too stupid or too silly. It was always thorough. And my son just kind of has now grown up being feeling so so safe in the hospital which is you know incredible in itself and so um yeah it was a good experience he's so social he's so well socialized into different friendship groups and different people and different environments too so in the long run it it has helped a lot I think that's a great reminder for parents too because we get the guilt of almost like we're just pushing them away because we need to go do something else but it's actually so beneficial for them yep it really is I'm, I'm so glad that I did, you know, in an ideal world, yes, I would love to stay home with my son and have those moments and I can never get them back. So that's the kind of, it's that understanding there's always going to be a sacrifice somewhere. I, I can't have everything, unfortunately. And so the sacrifice was, okay, well, I'm not going to spend, you know, as much time those days with, mm. with work and with daycare that that's going to be gone. But you know, the, the the good part of that is he's he does really, really well with new situations and new people and he's very adaptive and, yeah. And speaking of sacrifices, now let me take you to actually being on set for Black Snow. How did that actually work logistically as a parent and how also was it returning to your nine-to-five job after this wild experience? Oh, my goodness. I have the biggest sigh because it was such a whirlwind there's such a lot of pressure on my family. We were very lucky to have my mum and my husband's mum be available to take time off and help with Ty 
also bring him up to Airlie Beach where I was living. So we were filming in Proserpine, but we were living in Airlie Beach, which is hilarious because it's such a such a fun place to be. <laughs> and it was fun. I will I will say it was fun to be there. Uh, but as a parent, it was yeah, it was a bit rough. Um, you know, we there was a lot of crucial conversations that were had throughout that period, uh, trying to just manage the emotions too of ourselves, but also support our son during this big, massive change and what that was going to look like for him. So we were very intentional with keeping routine for him. So he had had his normal wake-ups and we knew his normal daycare routine. So we just brought that into home life as well. So when he wasn't in Brisbane and he was up with us, he had his play times and his nap times and when to eat and those, you know, down times as well. So that worked, that worked a treat. And so I'm really, really glad that we had that in place. Uh, as a family unit, yeah, it is. I am not going to sugarcoat that. And Eric and I laugh all the time at how we actually survived. How long was that filming for? Three months. Wow. It three months. It's a long time in a little kid's life too, isn't it? Oh, it was like an eternity, I'm sure. And uh, I think Amazing. of this often. It's like, oh, buddy, I'm so grateful that I've got this understanding that we, as much as we try as parents, we're not going to get it right. And and you also showed him how amazing his mum is. Like, I no, don't mean it's three months. Important. Yeah. Like, <laughs> when I say three months is a long time, I don't mean that negatively. It's just an interesting learning adjustment, right? Yeah. And he, would be, he will take, like, lessons from that into his adulthood that you don't even know about yet. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like, no doubt. It's, it's going to be interesting having those conversations with my son yeah. as he gets older and to just all, like, for me, be okay with I wouldn't have gotten it all right you know there's going to be moments that would have hurt him that he would have been upset and that he he's probably going to tell me mum I actually wish you didn't do the things and I'm going to have to be okay with that and, and you know it's hard isn't it and something I often think about when I don't think I've got it 100% right for my son is like yeah my parents didn't always get it right but they did their best and I adore yes. them and yeah. they loved me and they cared for me in the best way that they could yeah that's pretty much it you know and there's there's got to be that grace you got to have I think we got to be aware of ourselves and where we're at in our lives in order to be aware of where our parents were at mm. in their lives and the access that they had as well and and you might have resented it forever too if you didn't get I don't mean you would have resented your son but you would have resented that experience of saying no to it yeah yeah I think that's it and I've watched a lot of you know I, I know a lot of family members who did choose to say no to opportunities in their lives. And I know my parents have, and I'm so, I'm so thankful and grateful for them, but I'm also sad for them too. As a, as a kid, I would have loved to have seen what trajectory that would have taken them on and things like that. So that always a kind of give and take. Of like, what are you willing? It's such a good point. It's guilt either way. Like, yeah, <laughs> parents can either reflect on, oh, I wish I did a bit more with my career or it's I wish I was there for my kids more. There's literally no silver bullet. What an interesting, intense parenting experience for you. As much as it was this amazing career experience, you probably learned just as much about yourself and parenting as you did about the work of acting. Yeah, 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 100%. <laughs> and it was it's hilarious. So I get, I get a lot of notes or feedback on, wow, Jem, like you were, how were you able to cry so easily in these scenes? So, you know, my character, she's very emotional. She's gone through a lot of stuff. Um, but inherently, like I've, I'm crying in scenes. And I, the amount of messages that I get of people going, how did you do that so well? And I just giggle because I'm like, if you knew the stuff I was going through at that time, Oh, that wasn't acting, fam. That was just my moment to just. You're let like it. relieved. You're like, oh shit, yeah, she's crying again. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I had to check in. I was like, is this okay? Like, are you are you okay with Hazel crying? Oh, like it, again? Is this yeah. episode meant to be crying just for sixty minutes straight? <laughs> Honestly, uh, I was getting to that point. Was like, is this okay? And I'm like, no, no, this is great. And I'm like, good. So then if I could take you to returning back to your day job, how does that feel after this otherworldly experience? Uh, 
honestly the first word that it comes to mind is insane it was it was insane of me to think that I could go back to my normal working job with the normal mentality and brain space as well and not actually taking into account all the things that happen after filming and the promotional stuff but also just the networking and wanting to pursue this I've had to really hit the ground running and start looking for things as well and I've got opportunities that come up that I need to grab onto and again that quick turnaround period is just really right there and it was crazy is crazy still like I'm, I'm talking as if it happened long ago and we're only at the end of February so it, it's still something that I'm navigating and I'm just very very grateful and very very glad that I have a, a full-time job full-time which means I get all the beautiful you know the leave and um, just all the beautiful things that you take for granted you know when you don't have it um, I still have access to all that. I have access to a consistent pay, you know, it's consistent income, which is so incredible. So, Mm. and I think that's something that people don't realize in the film industry is it's, it's all over the shop. Like it'd be amazing if you were just all of a sudden now acting all all of the time, but the reality is that that's really hard to achieve really really hard especially as such a green leaf you know as green leaf actor I want to you know I want to get all the things but also I'm just I'm very realistic and that's going to be a lot of hard work so Mm. to know that I have that safety and that confidence in my work and also being open with them so they all know that I want to pursue this as a career and you know there might be times you know if I do fingers crossed land a job I'm going to take leave again you know, for a few few months at a time. So being open with my boss has been incredible and honest and, you know, it still means that I have to be, you know, checked in and making sure that I'm hitting my mark in my working life and with the training sessions and the clients that I have under me and it's a lot. It's a big juggle. Mm. And um, It's almost like another version of going on maternity leave and then coming back as this new person it's like another (laughs) version of learning how to grapple with your different identities and how that works together and all your different dreams and aspirations with the reality of what it is to have to pay bills oh 100 i never thought of it that way but 100 percent. and the brain capacity there's been Mm. so many moments where i've just felt like an utter failure i felt like isn't that amazing when i look at you and think like gee you've done a lot Oh my goodness. Yeah. But I do. It's that it's a reality check of we, the, the mental, the mental health that we need to really be aware of in these spaces as people, as mothers who do all the things. It's like, mm. you know, being able to normalize with each other. And that's why I enjoy listening to your podcast episode so much is because it just normalizes the struggle mm. and the, the need for community need for support gosh I could not have done this by myself I could not have done it by myself to flip failure on its head what do you think 15 year old Gemma would think about what you've just done featuring in this stand show oh my goodness gracious I don't even think she would have been able to comprehend how how that happened uh because 15 year old Gem was so sheltered so protected from the world that I think 15-year-old Jim might have made sense of it in a very religious kind of way. Mm, interesting. Going, oh, you're so just so blessed and it's just everything's just you're so favoured. Mm. So favoured. And I say it like that because it's like, well, no, I'm not favoured necessarily. I've worked my butt off to get to this point both personally and professionally and to kind of I think if I was able to talk to 15-year-old Jem, it would be to tell her that it's okay to ask questions and it's okay to challenge and also to value her voice um, because I don't, yeah, I don't think that, that that would have been even a blip in her eye. <laughs> when we were talking over email before this interview, you said something really interesting to me and that was that as an Indigenous and South Sea Islander woman, the parenting responsibilities feel a bit different for you. There's added pressures. Can you tell us a bit about that? There's this cultural load that we carry 
as individuals and also as parents where everyone's got bills to pay everyone has you know you're blessed enough to have a job to go to and you've got social responsibilities we all have those things but the cultural load is this thing that you I can't take off my indigeneity I can't take off my aboriginality or my South Sea Islander heritage it's it is me and I am it and what comes with that is community expectations that you hold yourself accountable as a leader you know when we when we do acknowledgments we acknowledge as leaders past and present because we're all leaders in our own spaces Mm -hmm. and with that comes responsibility and so it's not just something that oh if you choose to be a leader later on in your life you know that's the thing it's like no no the day you were born the day you were a leader and you have these these expectations but it's also just a societal load that comes with that protecting your son from society as a whole definitely definitely you know he's we breed him big you know I've got a very very sturdy young little lad (laughs) he's not blowing over in the wind No, no 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 and I think you know with with conversations and just things that you see on the news and uh, like a lot of these tough conversations that we have to have with our children as they grow up tough conversations that I've had to work through as a parent taking you know dropping my kid off to daycare things that arise from that you know we've had we've had quite traumatic experiences with the daycare system that is and that's you know a whole different conversation and it's from a racism perspective is that what you mean I can't say officially that it's a racist, but what's experienced, the experience and what we have felt as a family has definitely felt like it's been unsafe. We haven't felt like we were given, you know, the right space to to have conversations and sit down with people. And there's all these assumptions that start to get swirled around and, you know, where we land is like, is it because of what we look like or what, you know, we could be as nice and as kind and as accommodating as we can be. Yeah, which is such a load. It's just an extra layer to parenting. And when you (laughs) leave your kid at childcare or school or whatever, you're already worried about their safety and how comfortable they'll feel. So I can't really imagine that extra load it's a lot it's a Mm. lot and it has affected a big part of our lives and that all happened at the height of black snow premiering and all of this so our mental health was just at a complete low like you know you look at it was a miracle that I made it to the premiere because I was just in such a state of you know my priorities at that time was like I just want to be with my little family right now People were telling me how successful I was and I just felt like I was failing as a parent and it was just this horrible, yeah, horrible little space to be in. So I think that's that's that reality of cultural load of having to navigate how we hold ourselves physically and how we hold conversations and making sure that we're not threats when we want to challenge things that have happened mm. um, and, and not be in a way that just comes across as just oh you're just oh you're a bit angry it's like oh <sighs> man it's still there <laughs> and, so you've opened my eyes so much to your experience just in those few sentences yeah yeah and honestly yeah I could I could do a whole day on this because we haven't really had the space to unpack that as parents either and I think that the some big- things as well are too raw to unpack sometimes oh like I actually can't go there so as I said and that's just coming from me as a Caucasian woman so those extra layers I really can't I can't imagine that yeah oh, and I appreciate it too it is it's it's um it's one of those things where it's like you know it's important to to talk about but there's a time for it and yeah. I know when the time does come it, it'll 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 be perfect you know mm. for for the space that it needs to be in and um but that does happen and that's probably a really really good well not so good example of that extra pressure and that extra load as a parent so oh yeah but again on the flip side of that we got community and all of this to say I couldn't be where I am today without community just it takes a village (laughs) it's so true I used to think it was a cliche and now I get it it takes a bloody village I've learned so much from you already I have one last question for you if you could solve one problem for working parents today what would it be oh this I'd love to take away this deep belief that we need to do things on our own 
I would just, and I would love to take away that deeply held belief that we need to feel guilty for asking for help and feeling like we owe someone if help is given and not just support being a normal thing in our lives. Why can't we treat ourselves the way we treat our friends? If I helped my friend, for example, if I looked after their baby for an hour while I had mine and I was fine to do it, why, if they did that for me, do I feel like I owe them when all they want to do is help me? Yep. You could not have said that better. Yeah. I would clap if I felt it was appropriate for a podcast <laughs> form. But I think that would be really annoying. <laughs> Gemma, where can people find you online? And also tell us, I mean, I'm sure people have realised, but where can they watch Black Snow? Sure. So I spend any spare time, usually late at night when everyone's gone to bed on Instagram at uh, gem, J-E-M underscore just gem. <laughs> and yeah, that's basically it really. That's the only time, only place I have time for. <laughs> I am on Twitter, Jemison Power. And um, that's, yeah, that's, that's it. And my social, on my socials, really, I'm sure eventually when my child gets older and doesn't need me as often i'll expand that space uh, but until then you can also find black snow on stan thank you so much for being here today thank you so much listener for having me thanks for listening to ready or not if you liked the show please tell your friends subscribe or write a review you can also find us on Instagram at readyornot.pod. That's it for today. We'll see you next time.